stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! In one or many pieces, Formula One is coming home. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Hello, welcome to episode 148 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. Filling in for an absent Andre Harrison, who will be back next week, I am RJ O'Connell from uh, from Motorsport 101's uh, second American headquarters in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Not Nashville, though, though that would be kind of nice if I actually lived there, but that's a little bit more expensive, but we won't dwell too much on that. Um... We have uh we have our we have Ryan King who has always been with us. Say say hi, Ryan from Brooklyn, New York. Well, it's it's from, it's, from, the, from the, it's it's the Bronx and it's so hot. It is so hot, guys. That's fine. It's so hot that we kind of forgot. Uh, we kind of forgot what city we're in. Man, how hot is it over there? Um, for those who speak in Celsius, we're like pushing thirty-five. Man, it's uh it's uh it's so hot. It'll, uh, it might even break down under stress after 64 laps out of 71. I wouldn't mind that. (laughs) Um, filling in from, from the undisclosed, uh, secret location, we have, we have noted Formula E correspondent back on the show with us, Hazel Southwell. I'm not in an airport. It's been too long. (laughs) That's why he said undisclosed Um, location, because it is not an airport. Yeah, I mean, I don't like to break the mystique, but it's a full week before I head to New York. Um, in fact, longer than a full week. I've been home for ages. Um, so, yeah, I'm actually uh, coming to you from my house in East Ham, which is a, a, a very trendy and exclusive part of London uh, that everyone wants to live in. I, I'm just going to take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds good, right? Like, East things yes. are cool. Yes, things like, things like East, East Coast, um, things uh, things we don't, things that LeBron does not have to worry about anymore. <laughs> Just anything East-related. I'm not going to have to find out 30, what a LeBron what, is for this episode, am I? Man, when I, when, I, when I turn 34 years old, I too want to get paid $150 million dollars. Oh damn, man! That's Just... three years off for me. I. <laughs> but but you know, um, but you know, thirteen percent tax—that's way too high, guys. Okay. Thirteen <laughs> percent. Oh. <laughs> for for those who don't know, that is in reference to a tweet by IndyCar driver Graham Rahal, who complained that the uh, highest tax bracket in the state of California was too high at thirteen percent. Thirteen percent. Like, we've got a, lo- a whole bunch of people, like, you know, obviously there's all the drivers that moved to Monaco and the people who dodged tax from the UK and whatever. Uh, but our higher rate tax is 50. Well, uh, it's it's state tax. So basically, in the US, you get taxed twice. Once by the state government and another time by the federal government. Oh, okay, right. Okay, that's, that's like, marginally more reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
Um, so we're going to talk about all the goings-on at the Formula One Austrian Grand Prix, which, if you're like myself and fell asleep uh, from massive exhaustion due to unrelated reasons, you probably would have thought at the first lap that this was just going to be another box standard race and Lewis Hamilton was going to pad his points lead. As it turns out, things uh, didn't quite pan out like that. We'll also be talking I, I just want to raise that it's... Uh, really very homophobic that there's a triple header at the end of pride month <laughs> and that I... the end of the triple header of the british grand prix is on the same weekend as london pride oh goodness yeah they just I, hate I, the I gays i just want to bring this up that's wonderful we'll we'll talk about that we'll talk about formula two but that's why we're all tired new, with new rolling starts and two British championship leaders in both Formula 2 and GP3. That's right. Formula 1 in time is coming home. It's coming home, lads. There is also many other things to cover, including record-breaking runs at the Nürburgring Nordschleife and the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. We've got fun finishes in America with NASCAR and IMSA. We've got a mini-recap of Super, Super GT. All of that and more on a very packed episode. And of course, you can listen to this and check out all of our great content at motorsport101.com. We are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Our Twitter handle is motorsport underscore 101. If you want to follow us personally, we are at Harrison101HD for Dre, at RJ O'Connell for myself, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks for Ryan, and Hazel is H Southwell FE. And if you would like to back us financially, you can back us on patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101. $5 tier gets you early access to this show and to bike live on the Motorsport 101 network, where I'm sure we're going to talk about who that uh, I heard things about that TT acid. <laughs> Let's not even get into that. We've got enough to get on with. Oh, goodness. I've heard I've heard very, very erotic things about that race. We've, we've all seen Andrea's Instagram story. Yes, we'll get into all that. That's right. $5 gets you early access to both shows. For $10, you can join our Discord server and listen to these shows live as they're being recorded because sometimes the best and probably the least speakable jokes end up on the cutting room floor. Holy shit, people listen into this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We have we have Zoe Hamilton who's always here crashing in our pad. Brian Glennon who's listening with us. Thank you so much to everybody who continues to support the show. We're continuing to get backers left and right. Thank you so much for do enjoying everything that we do. Right, because uh we got a lot to cover here, so let's get right to it. What the fuck is an Iton? Let's crack into the Austrian Grand Prix. So this was uh, uh, last weekend during uh, the French Grand Prix. Uh, yeah. A few teams were kind of pissed off about the whole triple header situation. Oh, yeah. Um, particularly Haas, uh, Gunter Steiner, said that it was great if Toto Wolff um, had said that, um, you know, this is an exciting challenge. It's fun to have it as a new thing in Formula One. 
but Mercedes can afford more motorhomes. They literally, which the motorhomes that you have at the back of the paddock, they just get a new one in Austria. Um, so they, they're not transporting that from France to Austria. They're not transporting it subsequently to the UK, as I understand it. They've literally just, uh, the one from France went to the UK and they had a spare one in Austria. Um, the smaller teams have to haul everything obviously everyone's got to haul the cars everyone's got to haul the team by various methods um and the teams were paying for truck drivers uh just to run triple shifts to drive through the night so as soon as one came off you'd literally pulled over to a lay-by swapped guys the next one came on in order to get to the track when you think about it in leaving spielberg uh, today, probably realistically, a few might have got out overnight, uh, but there was pretty torrential rains in both locations. Um, yeah. So, if the chances are, even if you can get some trucks out, a lot will be leaving now, or not now, but earlier this morning. It's it's Monday. We're recording this. I think right. it's Monday. Yes, it is Monday, July the second. And I, I'm I a freelancer. People, I don't know what's going on. People <laughs> are still stuck in traffic from the French Grand Prix. I'm pretty yeah, sure of it. Um, yes. But yeah, so so the haulage is now moving. If you've got to get it from Austria to the UK, then even if you've driven all night, you're probably just reaching the UK and you've got to go straight on to Silverstone. I think they could do it if they presented in the form of a Top Gear challenge. <laughs> oh my God. But yes. I mean, I think we, that uh... basically is how it's been presented to the smaller teams in that they are just having to to make things go i mean you they've literally got like basically roadside recovery as part of their convoy um because they don't have enough trucks to have one breakdown um yeah, right that's not per that's se the case would... for some of the other teams they can some of them especially haas obviously haas have an additional problem of not being uk uh, uh, not being europe based so there's all kinds of things but anyway so Toto Wolf said it was a great, exciting thing, and that actually this was a a cool challenge for Formula One teams, and that, yeah, it was going to be tiring, but Mercedes were totally up for it, and the the little teams were like, we're really fucking not, like, we don't want to do this, Uh, this is a huge strain on budgets, this is impossible strain on personnel, you know, whatever. Like they can't necessarily cycle through loads and loads of pit crew and things, you know, they can't rest staff, this is is brutal um i noticed haas didn't didn't actually do that badly no as as we'll come to find out um all of total wolf's excitement might have been a little bit misplaced although after qualifying king um it looked like you could just have uh you could just popped on the highlights and expected this race to go to form after lewis hamilton valtteri botas locked out the front row with botas and pole Hamilton in second, the Ferraris on row two, Mercedes have a brand new, brand spanking new engine update that's ready for these cars this time, and you're thinking, oh boy, this is the part where, right, Ferrari, they've had their fun, but they missed an opportunity in France, Mercedes got this new engine, uh, this is Mercedes have had the new engine since France. Oh yes, yes, so, so this is where, you know, obviously, with this being more of a power Power track, it's going to be more advantageous to the Mercedes. Like, this was going to be the hammer blow. And uh, qualifying certainly uh, certainly gave us that expectation. Which is why I kind of just dozed off 
after the first hour. I'm sorry. I got back from a I got back from <clears throat> the most attended soccer game in the world on Saturday. Take that, <laughs> Russia. <laughs> That's what happens when you get to watch Atlanta United hang four on them on Orlando. We are the undefeated kings of the South. Bring us a new rivalry, please. But I digress. Yeah, I dozed off about lap one after Kimi Raikkonen went offline a couple of times and the Mercedes broke out to a one-two start. I was thinking, right, this one, uh, this one's about done and dusted. So I wake up around lap 50 and a lot has happened. And I, it takes by the time Lewis Hamilton breaks down uh, that's a, that's a thing that happened in this race. Lewis Hamilton broke down. We'll get to that. It took by that time to realize, like, what am I watching? Yeah, like, things, uh, things drastically changed pretty much right at the first lap because the pole sitter was not even in the lead after the first corner. Right. Hamilton got the jump on both tests, and Kimi Raikkonen actually would have got the jump on both of them. Got squeezed out in the middle, went wide at turn one, then went wide again at turn three. Both the Ferraris went wide at turn three. That gave the Red Bulls of Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen an opportunity to pounce. Things do start to get a little bit weird once we get to around lap 12 when Nico Hulkenberg's engine pops. Yeah, the teapot. Uh, the, the yellow wet teapot. Yep. Uh, let's just say Hulkamania went from wild to mild and then the wild again because, whoo, that was a spectacular looking curb blammo out of the back of that bright and bright yellow and black Renault. Um, but two laps later, we have the first big retirement of the race when Valtteri Botas suffers a hydraulics problem that knocks him out of the race from second. And this causes the car to stop on track and brings out a virtual safety car. Um, mm. Now, now, if you're a strategist, are you thinking that a virtual safety car is like the perfect time to bring your car in for a routine pit stop? Uh, that's debatable considering like it was like right, but like it was not that close to the pit stop window. It was it was questionable. It was questionable. Out of all this, um, Max Verstappen of the Red Bull camp, Red Bull decides to see an opportunity to pounce, and uh, they bring him in to put him on the soft tires. You know, it's it's uh, it's marginal, but he might be able to make it to the race on this one set of tires and, you know, not have completely fallen off the cliff. Uh, it's a calculated risk and one that they brought him in for. Uh, Mercedes leaves Lewis Hamilton out uh, because he has a comfortable lead, and why should Mercedes... Uh, why should Mercedes think of the flight? This is the optimal strategy at the time. They bring him in on lap 26 with the full confidence that they would have easily still brought him out in the lead of this race. And he comes out in the lead and, well, he's uh, well, he's actually not in the lead anymore. He's not, he's trailing Max Verstappen and uh, Kimi Raikkonen and Sebastian Vettel as well, I believe. No, he, he, uh, Hamilton was able to get out just ahead of Sebastian, but behind Kimmy. Yeah, so now you have you have a Red Bull and a Ferrari up ahead. This is not ideal. Oh, and then is... you could tell that he immediately knew that this was not ideal over the team radio. Gosh, again, you're going to have to fill me in on a lot of this stuff. Because, again, I was like just 
zonked out <laughs> completely, and there's only so much you can glean from the highlights package. So pretty much Hamilton knew that his tires were going to get hot, started getting hot, and pretty much told the team that he was in a situation. They kind of needed to instruct him to find some way around the, the tire heating issue so he could push and try to get around Kimi Raikkonen. Yes, and uh, that ultimately does not happen. Um, by the way, I did catch, and I don't recall which point of the race that this exactly happens, but Sebastian Vettel might have had one of his best career overtakes going into turn three on Lewis Hamilton. Yes, it happens around this point where uh, he gets overtaken by uh, Sebastian Vettel. Hamilton's clearly out of it. He's not focused on the race. He's more focused on his tires and worried about not, you know, he's pushing them past the limit and he's wearing them out far quick, like far more quickly than anyone else. And pretty much chief strategist James Fowles gets on the radio and pretty much fest like pretty much takes all responsibility for the for the strategic blunder at the virtual safety car to try now to that's interesting now that's interesting that you said james valls had uh, had done the strategy because if you listen to certain other alternative f1 media outlets they'll tell you that somebody else was in charge of the strategy altogether <laughs> But, oh. but you know we're not here we're not here to pump up uh, amateur operations we're here to pump up ourselves a well-run professional unit yeah because when uh, when the chief strategist gets on the radio and tries to calm down Lewis Hamilton hopefully you think that would calm him down but no it did not he kept going on the radio it did not solve anything right. Out of all of this, Hamilton, I believe, has to pit a he has to pit a second time. Yes. And um, but even after pitting, uh, he's still going to have enough points in hand. He is running fourth with about ten laps to go. Uh, Sebastian Vettel's right ahead, and even though this is not the ideal race, Lewis Hamilton knows that he's still bagged enough points to where he still holds his championship lead going into the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. Until his lap 64, his fuel system fails. (laughs) Oh, this is the first double DNF for Mercedes. Um... This, this is not the first double DNF for Mercedes, but it's the first double mechanical DNF for Mercedes since 1955. You're going to have to go back to the first iteration of Mercedes. Yeah, their first double mechanical failure at Mercedes since the 1955 season. That is wild. How in the hell? I feel like that can't possibly be true. Uh, yeah, because they never had a mechan- they like they've never had both cars suffer mechanical failures. Usually, when they have a double like retirement, one car's mechanical failure and the other car crashes out. Right, right, and of course we remember Barcelona. Oh yeah, yeah. When both cars crashed out, cars, <laughs> yes, both cars crashed out at the same time, and people had very strong feelings about this, one way or another. Um, so with both Mercedes out. And the Ferraris ha- still having a pretty good but not ideal race. Remember when we mentioned that Mats Verstappen um, was able to uh, was able to come in and that that virtual safety car might have been able to make it last? Well, guess what? He did. After all the criticism over his early season form, all the criticism of his mistakes, which were you know fairly justified, he's turned it around, and Mats Verstappen abandons back. 
The bandit rides again. He has won the Austrian Grand Prix. And for the first time ever, Red Bull Racing win at the Red Bull Ring. A track that normally does not suit them or their cars. <laughs> but they did it. By Jove, they did it. Did you see the Max Verstappen grandstands? It's like a sea of orange. Yeah, that was, man. That There was a, a crowd pop with like two laps to go. And there are very few times where you can audibly hear the crowd over like the TV audio. But man, you could hear them roar. <laughs> Yeah, this none of this was piped in, brother. This was all this was all a true pop. They don't pipe this in like the boys down south. Um, oh dear. So this is the Mats Verstappen that I think were what this is. Is it really? Is, we, is it really? Because this was Max Verstappen. I mean, like to some extent, yes. This is what was sold, which he, is he can take advantage of others. Um, errors, uh, Ricardo yeah. qualified behind him, etc. Uh, which, for the first time in a while, um, and you know, at the end of the day, it was because the cars in front of him were gone. Yep. And the Ferraris fucked up. It wasn't. It wasn't taking pole in an unlikely circumstance and then managing right. to hold on to it. It wasn't an outstanding drive. It oh, was yeah. holding yeah. on. It- yeah, it wasn't his It was most, not managing it was to hit not, Raikkonen. Yeah, yeah it was I, not his I, best I think drive. it's... I mean, I, yeah, I'm i not a Verstappen hype train rider, and I never have been. Um, I've always said he... He may turn out to be a good driver. He isn't at the moment. Um, he simply hasn't had enough years in cars to be good. Um, and I think that... I mean, right now... Verstappen this season has the same number of years in cars that Charles Leclerc does. Yeah, yeah, to, he does. To put it into perspective, um, so I, um, my feeling is that the acceleration is ridiculous in junior drivers. Like, we ha- we have to stop the rapid acceleration uh, because it's creating just really stupid racing. And also, there's a huge problem with when you with these complex hybrid power units. You're not having, you're not seeing drivers change as often. You can't take as many chances with the driver lineup, basically because it's very complex to learn. You have to invest quite a lot to bring a driver into Formula One, not just in terms of bringing them up the junior ranks, but actually literally just teaching them how F1 works. And um, I would say that, uh, well, I mean, there's lots of reasons for Stappen is holding on to that position, but. And that he reached it as fast as he did, but uh, yeah, the the on track results are not one of them. Right. I mean, but I had some this... like it, uh, extreme Max Verstappen fans trundle into my mentions after the, the oh, French dear. Grand Prix. Oh God. Um. One of them uh, said that uh, you know it's oh I was saying that Charles Leclerc you can't compare the idea that Charles Leclerc would get the Ferrari seat with whether Verstappen should have gone into the Red Bull seat because the the experience levels are, are now equivalent. Um, and uh, certainly not when Max got that Red Bull seat, especially since there was somebody else already in it. Uh, but right. the, somebody said, and this is the level of, that the hype has completely overridden sense on this, 
that in his first year, yes, Charles Leclerc has not put a step wrong, which is wrong. Charles Leclerc has put steps wrong, and he's he's very open about it. Um, but uh, that Max Verstappen didn't. Uh, Verstappen got eight <laughs> super license penalty points in his first year, um, and openly defied team orders. Like, and that's the yeah, things. Yeah, this came up. This came up again in qualifying. This came up again in qualifying because well, uh, yeah, Red Bull I mean, were trying to organize. Uh, were trying to organize that uh, Verstappen could get a toe off Ricardo, and then when they asked Verstappen to do the same uh, thing, that Red Ricardo got a toe off of him. I, I I don't think Red Bull were trying to organize Verstappen to give Ricardo a toe. Mm. I, 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 don't know, I really don't. He seemed um, very agitated about something in Q3 related to something involving him and something revolving Daniel Ricardo. Yeah, so he felt Ricardo wasn't giving him a good enough toe. Ah. Uh, um, and that basically it was not playing nice between the two. Um, Ricardo felt he didn't have the pace, which he didn't. Um, yeah, and that was even before he had broken down another mechanical DNF for Daniel Ricardo and another DNF for Red Bull that kind of put some worried faces on the on the people at Red Bull when they were basically telling Matt's to kind of just you know back it off because this may happen to you too. It may happen to you too. Your exhaust may fail as well. Does Daniel Ricardo's contract situation you think? merely highlight this or heighten it i i don't because hmm. you know you because have helmet marco saying that there's nowhere else for him to go and that he will sign right oh i, I agree with him have on a situation one where the front three teams if one of the ferraris or max had stopped on track mm-hmm. then the third car on the podium would have been lapped yeah. The front three teams are lapping every other car yes. on a circuit. As like much Spielberg. as much as McLaren would love to throw all the money that they have at Daniel Ricciardo, uh, that's not going to be enough. All the money to... they have is not very much money. <laughs> yeah. A, yeah, a lot of it's... that money is Alonso money. Remember, they do pay him a lot, but he brings in a lot. Ricardo yeah. doesn't come with pistol because once you take away that Red Bull sponsorship, he's got Australian car sales. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for for Daniel Ricciardo, it, it's pretty much re-sign with Red Bull or you're not going to be in Formula 1 next year. Uh, no, so I think he's got two options, one of which is Renault might genuinely pick him up because Renault can choose to pay for Daniel Ricciardo, who's out of contract, so they don't have to give Red Bull any money for Daniel. Yeah. Um, and they're Renault. They've got shitloads of cash. Yes. Yeah. Um, or... They can choose to pay Red Bull to keep Carlos. Oh, I see then. Carlos see is that... still under contract and they will have to pay Red Bull if they want to keep him. They won't because the the split has been extraordinarily acrimonious. Right. In case you didn't know, Red Bull are going to Honda um, after, after years and years of what we could best describe as a frayed relationship. So... Matt's Verstappen, he had some fortune go his way. Um, he is starting to turn his form around. This is his fourth podium in five races. Again, he's far from a finished product. He's a bit overhyped. His defense is what is his biggest problem, not so much as overtaking. Um, he's still rough around the edges, and he still doesn't play nice with his teammates. Um, but this is still 
it's still an encouraging result to kind of get him back to at least something of the Mats Verstappen that we all idealize and as we want to see in our head as being this Nets, the Nets Schumacher, basically. Mm. But Dutch, with more orange. <laughs> Actually, now it's yellow with Yumbo Supermarkets on board. So Verstappen gets his first win of the season, and now we have a case where all three of the big three have won three races through the first nine races. So Red Bull have three, Ferrari have three, Mercedes have three. Um, was anybody expecting this at the start of the season? Uh, I think we all were expecting I, I wasn't, the start of the I season. wasn't expecting Red Bull to have three. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, yeah, that one was the big surprise. I know they are still well a ways off in terms of reliability from their cars and their drivers for getting the championship challenge. But, again, they can still challenge for the odd race win here and there. Uh, they can make things very, very interesting for both Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel. I mean, as things stand from the record, you could say that Mercedes and Ferrari can also challenge for the odd race win here and there. Yeah, that's you're very, very right. Um, um, Ferrari I, I think had the a very thing good that day. you would say um, about this year is that, so I, I think although we're seeing three teams contending for wins, which I is more than the previous years, um, the budget gap, between the people who take the top three prize money and those who don't has become so stark. Right. Um, I mean, you have the team who came fourth last year going out in Q3. Admittedly, I don't know what was wrong with Perez, but but Perez went... uh, Sorry, going out in Q1. I always forget it's one, two, three, not three. They do salvage this. They do salvage this. Uh, Ferrari. Ferrari have a have a pretty good race. Kimi Raikkonen starts third. He is eventually able to finish second. There was some worry that they would swap Raikkonen and Vettel around at the end, but I guess they kind of, because you know Ferrari does not have a track record of uh, swapping cars at the last lap of an Austrian Grand Prix to give their German championship leading driver the uh, the benefit in terms of championship points. That would never happen. I've never heard of that. It's like Never suggesting ever. Renault would have a driver deliberately crash. Oh, I, I've never heard of such a thing. I've, I've actually never heard of that. Um, <laughs> Kimi Räikkönen takes second, and Sebastian Vettel, because Lewis Hamilton breaks down behind him, gets 15 points, and he moves back into the lead of the Drivers' Championship by a single point. 146 to Vettel over 145 to Lewis Hamilton. How does he keep doing this? Uh, Apart from the fact that he's a really man. good driver in a very good car, uh, a lot of varying, a lot of variables in the circumstance. Right, and remember, there was still uh, there was still acrimony going into this race because he had got picked up a three place grid penalty for balking Carlos Sainz during Q three. Uh, that one, uh, hmm, I guess there were some very strong feelings about this. Yeah, I mean, I think the Tifosi were and Vettel fans were felt that it shouldn't have that he shouldn't have incurred the penalty because he's fighting for a championship. Even even Mario Andretti said this. Yeah, it's bullshit though because like if it doesn't matter if you both got through, then if the Williams are not ever going to get out of Q one, then does it really matter if you block them? 
Yeah, like it's it's, rid- it's ridiculous like, to have that If you're in contention for a championship and you are on a slow lap, get the fuck out of the way of other drivers. At the end of the day, like I don't I don't know if it was even Renault that particularly complained, but when you are in the way of drivers who are fighting for Q3 and you are comfortably in it, get the fuck out of the way. Right, and that essentially goes against the point of like you know you don't want to have rules hard and fast rules about driver conduct be malleable based on where they are in the driver's championship. This has yeah, been this... talked about a number of times before. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, like, if if uh, if Bottas and Hamilton had crashed each other out and it was obviously Hamilton's fault and they decided not to award a penalty because he was in contention for a championship... Yeah, it'd be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous. Like, you... Like I've or, seen or people if, saying if that uh, since his engine's blown up and he gets a new engine at Silverstone. Well, I mean, it's his home race and he's in contention for a championship. He shouldn't really get grid penalties, right? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Please. I've, post I've that seen people. Break, I've seen people break. say that he shouldn't get penalized because Carlos Sainz Jr. said it wasn't a big deal. That's ridiculous. You break the rules, you get penalized. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter if he thinks it's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, and he he this... would probably quite like a future Ferrari seat, so... <laughs> out of out of all this, Vettel still had a good day, finishes on the podium, takes back in the lead of the Drivers' Championship by a single point, um, and they're not the only Ferrari-powered team that had a very good day, because we were waiting for this since the start of preseason. You know, Haas were looking like the most improved team, but we were just waiting for them to have that big weekend, which we all thought was going to happen in Australia until finger trouble happened. Kevin Magnussen had been pretty much scoring all the points, and Romain Grosjean had been getting all the bad luck after he kicked the black cat into into a bunch of mirrors through underneath several ladders while tossing the salt shaker over his head. That's to say that Romain Grosjean has had no luck at all. In fact, he's had negative luck. But all of a sudden, it's come good for them. Grosjean, Grosjean, Finishing a strong fourth. Yes, he was one lap down. We've covered this. The gap between the top three and everything else is pretty bad. But Romain Grosjean, back in the points for the first time since Japan last year with a fourth place finish. And Kevin Magnussen with a fifth place finish. That's 22 points on the board for Haas. That's their best ever result. And it puts them up into fifth in the championship and overtakes them past McLaren Renault. Y'all! This is America's team again. <laughs> oh, I get it. Uh, yeah, I mean, so everybody, I really like Haas because um, I transcribe a lot of Team Boss audio and, like, no no Gunter, no party. Um, I also think, you know, they've got a, a kind of challenger element to them that I really appreciate in most sport teams in general. Uh, I think Haas come at F1 from an interesting angle. Haas are obviously pretty key in terms of the future of F1 currently and that Liberty Media will afford Haas the same level of permissions, I suspect, that Ferrari have been historically given because it's very important to Liberty that there's an American team. Um, right. it's, it's even more important that they try and bring in more um, so yeah, Haas are a very interesting bit of Formula 1 uh, they're a very outspoken bit um, yeah, 
it's it's an interesting area. They're also a, a genuinely challenging customer team, uh, which at the moment, because Force India have had so many problems this year, there kind of isn't really another one. Um, obviously, McLaren are in the bin. Williams are in the complete bin. I, I mean, actually, I think McLaren are worse than Williams at the moment. Um, oh, that is a that is a strong, strong take. But, but if I'm, Alonso I'm was in that Williams, it. where would it be? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, this was this was not a good week for McLaren in terms of outright pace. I don't know how Fernando Alonso salvaged eight plates points, but you know that's why he is the greatest driver in the world. Don't at me. Because six cars <laughs> retired. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's fine, but hey, you can only you can only in order to finish eighth, you must you must first finish. As the saying goes, that's not how the saying goes, but you know it's perfectly fine. Uh, it's the it's the kind of thing I would have said at Le Mans, and to be fair, yeah, it was one of the six cars that finished. Um, I would say, I mean, to be to be fair, he didn't, despite some early indications on like lap two that he was quite bored, he didn't clock off early. Um, so. And he did actually pull his finger out in qualifying this week, which it looked mm-hmm. for the first sort of 14 minutes of Q1 like it wasn't going to be asked. Um, so, yes, uh, I think also, I mean, I, I kind of ride on Fernando Alonso a lot because I've been riding on Fernando Alonso since the early 2000s, um, and I'm not going to stop now. Uh, but it, it's done with a reasonable amount of affection. But... Uh, Alonso is one of the drivers that brings the most attention to the sport. Um, he's a driver who can bring attention to any sport. Um, he's a huge personality. Uh, he's very good to work Yo, with got, for sponsors. He got people you know, whatever. In world rally but cars. he's like. Uh, the I, Fernando I, I, McLaren partnership has to end. It can only just continue on into into American waters. Oh dear! <laughs> oh my goodness! But uh, uh, yeah. I Haas. don't know. I I would be. I mean, I know he wants the triple crown. Um, I would be more interested in seeing Fernando and Super GT. Uh, not Super GT. Uh, Super Formula. Um, I. I think he would go with the former, not so much the latter. Um, by the way, Kevin Magnuson, another top five finishes first since Bahrain. Y'all, Haas are looking good right now. If they could put another something together at Silverstone, they might have something for Renault here because they're only 13 points back. Yeah, they... yeah, and I mean, Renault have big trouble at the moment. Oh, yeah. Hulkenberg blew an engine. Carlos Sainz... Uh, was the last car one lap down in 12th with a non-scoring finish. Uh, Austria was probably not going to be their track, um, so they kind of got to hope they get it together at Silverstone. I mean, Silverstone is quite, is much more likely to suit them, um, but uh, Silverstone is also massively more likely to suit the Toro Rossos. We know that the Toro Rossos can pull out a result when they have that option. Um the uh, Silverstone's actually quite a good track for Hartley, so it's possible he might manage it if his car can hold it together for fucking minutes. Um, it's possible he he might actually 
kind of come out with the goods in Silverstone. Um, right. Obviously, it's a track he knows extremely well. So. Oh yes, he's um, won there in WEC before. Uh, yes, uh, yeah. a fair amount, um, both in LMP2 and LMP1. So um, yeah, it, it, like for sure, Hardy has a good chance in Silverstone, and we know that Gasly's on a complete stormer. Um, so and they're kind of like the the mix up of the midfield. Sometimes they're at the back. Sometimes they're very much mixing at the front. Uh, they might well take a step forward on Renault there. Um, Renault don't yeah. seem to have the. I mean, Renault have the problem in that it, at the moment they have the two single most demanding customer teams as their customers. Right. Yeah, and that's and that's never going to be fun. Uh, that's never going to be a fun arrangement. This was kind of a day for the midfielders with all with uh, half of the big three breaking down. Uh, we got we mentioned that Force India didn't have such a good time in qualifying. Esteban Ocon started 11th. Sergio Perez qualified 17th. Eventually started 15th after grid penalties were applied. Ocon finished sixth, and Sergio Perez finished in seventh. I would say, given the circumstances, that is a pretty damn good day at the office for Force India. Um, a team whose long-term viability we're, we're kind of, sort of worried about just a little bit, but they are they're still hanging tough to, they're two points still clear of McLaren Renault. They could easily move it in the top six in the Constructors Championship by the time we get done here with uh, with this uh, triple header. Also a good day as well for the Alfa Romeo Saubers. Um, Charles Leclerc finishing in ninth, Marcus Ericsson in 10th. That's Sauber's first double points finish since China of 2015. Uh, King, Sauber looked good. Uh, yeah, Force India really looked good. good today. Yeah, really good. Charles Leclerc had a mm. big off early in the race and was still able to finish ninth. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yeah, I mean, there I, was... I think... I think Sauber... Uh, so I absolutely agree Sauber look good and, and it's incredibly good seeing Sauber kind of get back to being a, a competitive team I think uh, and and hopefully moving in further forward sorry Alfa Romeo Sauber um, Salfa Bermeo uh, <laughs> uh, I think it was a pretty stinking weekend for Force India on some levels it was recovered in the race but Perez out in Q1 is bonkers um and i think they really i'm worried about force india they've been like the little team that could and this year for... do they still have time to finish second in the constructors championship though no oh, darn the dream the dream may still live for one more day maybe with a change of leadership um, I mean, the fact is they have massive financial problems and we know what happens to Formula 1 teams when they have massive financial problems. Yeah. Um, well, we you know, Lotus... Look at Williams for an example. Well, or Lotus. Yeah. Oh, yes. Would be the most oh, recent golly. example. The last couple of years of Lotus, what a trash fire. Yeah, yeah because... so, I mean, the, the hope is that they would be able to turn themselves around. Um, maybe Mercedes will finally accept that they need a B team. Um, maybe something will happen, but at the moment, Force India are, are just in, 
you know it's keeping head above water and even if that is beginning to clear now which i suspect it is like they 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 had to take the money from liberty at the start of the year but they we're now a bit further through so i hope that force india are kind of improving um but that's a huge hit and that huge hit can be kind of what does for you um if you're not a mclaren and you don't have a kind of legacy brand heritage that's built up and that will just continue to roll in orange orange colored checks um but yeah i mean sixth and seventh from where they were brilliant no question they have extremely high quality drivers oh goodness yes and i think now with 200 starts under their belt and hey they can always trace it back to jordan i think they have a case for some heritage points it's no they don't but that one can dream um king tossing it over to you for a second um dre gave this race a solid eight out of ten on twitter um just for the kind of shit showish elements um how would you rate this austrian grand prix I'd probably rate it the same, maybe half point higher, 8.5. Like, it was, it was a good watch. It was something that had a lot of tension. Uh, there was certainly, it had its wheel-to-wheel moments. I wouldn't say, again, I wouldn't say it's the greatest race ever, but it was, it was a good watch. It was a good watch on Sunday. Worth, worth rewatching. I feel, which reminds me, I should probably get around to rewatching it when I'm a little more <laughs> conscious uh, shall we say, um, Hazel, your assessment of the race rated on like whatever scale or just, you know, briefly sum up, you know, how you thought the race went. Uh, we're, we're working away. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would give it about a six out of 10. It's, I, I get it there. I get it there. Like, you know, if not for the kind of retirements here, there would still be some elements where it would drag and lull a bit. And, you know, maybe we do inflate the scores a little bit. I will give it, I'll, I'll meet you all at the middle. I'll give it a solid uh, seven hours of sleep caught up on out of ten. <laughs> all right. Well, there was not. Well, Formula One was not the only measure of entertainment. That was not the only uh, part of the docket that we had. We I, I just want to our... put in, like, really early 10 out of 10. Oh. <laughs> For this item, 10 out of 10. Oh, yes. This is where you know we're going to start talking about Formula 2 and GP3. Yes, it's time for NXT TakeOver Spielberg. Um, now, the hottest driver on the Formula 2 circuit... Um, in terms of performance, uh, attractive points, uh, that's always subjective and uh, subject to the person's taste. Um, George Russell took pole in for the feature race and went on to win it convincingly after a, a subdued start from everybody. Yes, uh, rolling single file starts behind the safety car for both the Austrian and Britain race meetings of the FIA Formula 2 Championship. This in response to the numerous clutch failures that have been happening off the standing starts. So for the first time since 2005, uh, when this series was known as GP2, yes, continuity matters. Formula 2 is going rolling starts. Now, a lot of people felt like this was the only reasonable measure that could have been done. Obviously, the clutch failures were becoming a talking point to where it was taking away from some of the 
genuinely brilliant racing after the start. But so many drivers were stalling the cars afterwards that, you know, basically they felt like something needed to be done. And uh, Louis Delatraz, who was one of the drivers, said, you know, this, this isn't really the ideal solution. You know, other drivers are just making more mistakes than usual. Um, but we do have rolling starts for this round and for the third leg of this triple header while the series sorts it out. Um, Many people thought that, some thought that, you know, these drivers just couldn't handle that sort of thing. I thought they did pretty all right with it. And George Russell didn't seem to have too much trouble when he won his fourth race of the season ahead of Lando Norris in second and Antonio Foco in third. But I don't think that was the big talking point. Hazel, I think you and I, we both need to talk about one Artem Markolov. Holy fucking <laughs> Jesus, that pass. Oh, and then another pass later that lap to snatch away reverse grid pole. <laughs> oh my God. So that pass, um, they were, he was four wide with, with three other cars. Um, and he swiped on the grass. Three of, on the oh, grass. Uh, with two wheels on the grass. Artem Barkalov, you are absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah, he uh, he did, he knew he didn't say, need to save the tyres. So in the last few corners of the last lap, he had fresh tyres anyway. His tyres were better than anyone else's. So why not run them through the lawn? Um, uh, I mean, the thing is, and this is this goes back a little to what I was saying about Max and, and Charles. Like, when Artem Markov was first in GP2, yeah, he sucked. He was dreadful. Yeah. Uh, he yeah, was the very definition of a, a, a pay driver. Um, uh, but, you know, the last two years he got, or the last three years he got the GP2 win in Monaco. Um, yeah. He then went on to be a very convincing second to Charles Leclerc last year. Mm-hmm. And he is demonically good at overtaking. There's a few drivers who have come out of Russian time who have the same qualities. Um, Mitch Evans and before him Sam Bird uh, are both uh, Russian time alumnus uh, or alumni. Mm-hmm. And they are both incredibly good at really great, like unbeatable overtaking mo- uh, moves, even against people defending incredibly hard. And I don't know if it's something in the team or if it's just knowledge that's passed down or what, but uh, the yeah, I mean he's just joyous to watch. There is a, a real extraordinary brilliance to the way that he can line something up and just take advantage of it. The car, yeah. I mean, and we do have to talk about the F two car, and certainly Russian time has struggled with it. Um, this is the first year of the new car, although it's the second year mm-hmm. of it being called F2. And generally yeah. the teams are really... It's its a slightly more complex car, it's a slightly more complex steering wheel, and it has higher data demands. And F2 teams are just very much struggling to handle that. They just don't really have the budget and the processing power and the time. Uh, to be able to do that. I mean, like, you must remember that Formula One teams get three free practices uh, and an overnight session. Formula Two teams get one free practice that's quite short um, and not at a representative time, and then they qualify later that day. 
Yeah, so not a lot of on-track time for this car. No, and there's, there's no time to change setup and things. And then you have, obviously, the clutch failures, uh, the start failures that have caused um, following considerable outbursts by multiple Angst. F2 drivers after the, the race in Le Castellet. Um, yeah. And a lot of support from drivers online. I mean, you know, these guys are paying for their places. Every single F2 driver is paying for their place. This is not a paid series. Right. These are juniors. They yeah. pay for it. And right. whether they're paying for it in sponsorship, whether their family is putting up money, however they're doing it, um, they are putting up phenomenal amounts of money a year. And they'll be right. having to work towards that and to, to pleasing sponsors and doing all kinds of things in order to do that. And if your car is never seen on track because it stalls every time at the first lap, then you know you're right. not going to get very much no, sponsorship. It's, no it's also completely wrecking because unless you win it in the in your rookie season now, you can fuck off from F1. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Um, um, right. So the drivers are under tremendous pressure, and if your car fails every fucking time. Um, then yeah uh, rightly the drivers are pissed off um, they're, they're frustrated and um, I think I think there was uh, considerable angst especially on the side of uh, Trident 2 drivers who who it should be said Argemini who was easily the most vocal of the drivers who was upset after Le Castellet. It doesn't show in the results because he only finished 14th in the speecher and 10th in the sprace, but his car looked genuinely much better than it did in recent races. And Santino Ferrucci also got a double points finish out of this, uh, 10th in the feature and 7th in the sprint. It's almost like maybe they had a bit of a valid point. Probably the less said about Nick DeVries' race, the better. He would uh, he would have crashed it out on lap seven, which forced the two, first of two safety cars, the second coming, when Jack Aitken spun and crashed on lap 19. Those are two big body blows to their title hopes uh, as DeVries and Aitken, who were now slide to seventh and eighth in the championship. DeVries, now, um, now if I'm doing the math right here, he's seven, seven points out of the lead of the standings. So it is Russell from Norris from Fuoco on the podium of the feature race. And in the sprint, we had uh, we had Artem Markalov doing things again. He won sprint race from the reverse grid pole. I did not catch the sprint race, but I heard he drove brilliantly. And it came on the day that Russia knocked Spain out of the World Cup. Uh, yes. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think... Artem's command of the sprint race was absolutely, again, tyres. He is the best tyre manager in almost any series I've seen. And, you know, he got to nearly the end of the feature. He only had to pit on the very last few laps. Um, and certainly the sprint race he didn't have to pit to, a few other cars did. Uh, because the tyres were blistering, the same kind of blistering that you saw in F1. And, um, yeah, I think... Uh, Norris had a rotten time at Spielberg. He did also in F3. Uh, he was also crashed out. It was where he didn't quite take the title uh, a race early. 
Um, and I think um, you, know, you have to look at Artem's mastery of that race or that the command of that race. He's not just a good scrapper. He's not just a good overtaker. He completely managed the race. Russell did an incredible drive um, oh, to get yes. um, from eighth uh, and just absolutely stormed up to second within the first few laps and held it, mm-hmm. um, which now puts him ahead of Norris in the standings. Yes, by 10 points. It's now 132 to Russell, 122 to Norris, who, after that great start, we had pretty much assumed that Lando Norris had this title in the bag. Um, it's been a little bit cold for him lately. He hasn't won since the feature race to start the season in Bahrain. He's had four podium since, but now he's had two non-scoring results at the Le Castellet feature and at the Spielberg sprint um, that have kind of tanked his results just a little bit. It's very interesting at the top because there's a bit of separation between Norris and Russell, Russell and Norris at the top. But then for third place in the championship, you have Markelob at 94 points, Albon at 89. He had a very good week and a bounce back from the troubles of recent rounds. Sete Camera, fifth. Uh, he's at 86 points despite missing the Monaco round. Um, had a had a great weekend as well. Antonio Fuoco, another solid weekend for him. He's now up to sixth in the championship. Um, and Nick DeVries at 75 points. So just so just between third and seventh, there are 19 points covering it. That could be uh, that could be very very good. Hazel, um, we do not mean to keep you too long. I know you uh, I know you've got to go here just real quick. Um, any closing remarks um, that you have for us? Uh, just to say that uh, it's really good to see Jake Hughes. I know we're talking about F2, but Jake Hughes. Um, has come back in GP3. He was in GP3 the year before last, went to F3, had a mediocre time and came back to GP2 when probably it should have been F2. But, um, you know, the funding gamble as always. And it's good to see him um, winning again in GP3. Uh, Russell... Uh, taking the championship lead. He took the championship lead here in GP3 uh, and went on to win it. I don't think he subsequently lost it from here. So, um, game on, Norris. And, um, and you know, there's still actually... The thing you have to remember about F2 is that there's two races every weekend, yeah. so things can flip on one weekend. Um, the... Uh, only other thing I want to mention uh, was uh, I know you're moving on to this so slightly spoilers um, but I know we're moving on to discussing an electric car taking a hill climb record um, I just obviously as a Formula E journalist I wanted to say that I'm really glad to see Formula E cars taking on uh, hill climbing um, obviously uh, sorry I'm really glad to see electric vehicles taking on hill climbing obviously the point of hill climbing back in the day was to show that you could gear a car to have torque um, that you could actually get it up a hill electric motor torque is massive compared to that of uh, combustion cars so it's super exciting uh, to see um, electric vehicles taking on that challenge and, and to see really like the advantage of where they are compared to even the most advanced combustion cars Absolutely. Um, and yes, uh, thank you for having me. And I will uh, hopefully be back with you soon. 
yes, absolutely. The pleasure is all your, all ours. Honestly, <laughs> Hazel, thank you so much for joining. Um, me and King have got this to the end. Please take care. Hope all is well. Thank you, dudes. Bye. See ya. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hazel Southwell joining us. Um, noted Formula E journalist there to join us for our recap of the Formula One, Formula Two, and GP3. This is the Motorsport 101 podcast. We are just wrapping up here from uh, from what we call NXT Takeover Spielberg. George Russell wins the feature race in Formula Two with Markalov winning the sprint race, and George Russell has now moved into the lead of the Formula Two Drivers' Championship. Callum Islet from pole position won the feature race in the GP3 series, and with that and the his sixth place finish in the sprint, he now leads the championship. Second place man Antoine Hubert did not score points in either of the two races. Leonardo Polsini, a bit of a surprise from from my vantage point, got two podiums out of this weekend. He's now third in the championship, but it's still been an all ART racing benefit. Um, They've won five out of the six races in GP3. They're still very good at this series, aren't they, King? Yeah, like, ooh, it, man, all this year is making me excited for is next year when the merger happens between GP3 and Formula 3. It is going to be uh, the invasion angle, but what it should have been. Right, and maybe maybe Dan Tickton will not get hit from behind this time. That's another story for another episode. Goodness gracious. Um, all in all, fun weekend at Austria, and we still have no definitive idea what iTime is. I thought it was just a glasses sales company, like a lens crafters. Apparently, this is crypto mining. Uh, it might be. It might be illegal crypto Nothing mining. Nothing would surprise me. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Specsavers was mine, <laughs> like, crypto mining at this point, or lens crafters. Oh, my God. Ah, uh, goodness. Um... Should we, as we have, uh, as we have already covered a lot uh, from the rolling hills of Austria, shall we then move into, uh, shall we then move into uh, some other rolling hills, not too far away, specifically <laughs> the green hell of the Nurburgring Nordschleife. Now, when Porsche brought the 919 Evo to do some demo laps alongside the record-setting Porsche 962, I believe it's the 962 that the uh, that the previous track record of Stefan Beloff, the late great uh, sports car and Formula One driver, um, the one that stood for many, many years, um, we all just kind of envisioned, yeah, but what if, after beating the lap record at Spa-Francorchamps, what if the Porsche 919 farewell tour included one flat-out run around the Nürburgring Nordschleife to see how fast a modern race car could tackle the Nordschleife. Well, they did bring it back. They brought in Timo Bernhard, one of their most experienced drivers around the Nürburgring Nordschleife, and uh, not only did he break the record, he just crumpled it up and <laughs> incinerated it. He destroyed this record. Oh my god, like, I knew it was going to be fast. I heard rumors that it was going to be that fast, but I did not believe it was going to be that fast. Oh, yeah. I... I mm. So, you said you were watching the, the record lap, because, again, 
there were multiple attempts and uh they had pretty much uh they had basically been chipping away and chipping away um eventually they got to a uh they got to a final time after setting a 524 they got to a 51955 again that's five minutes 19 seconds around the famed Nürburgring Nordschleife that it, is ungodly quick that is otherworldly quick <laughs> oh my god just like the the old record was 6 minutes 11 it was the pole position time that Stefan Belau set for the Nürburgring 1000 kilometers in 1983 and yes. he, they destroyed it they <laughs> Oh, goodness, yeah. So that record stood for 35 years. And as big-time top-flight racing moved away from the Nordschleife, um, we thought that record would never be beaten. And here's the scary thing. Um, the impression that I got from this was that Timo Bernhard, who is a Le Mans champion, who's won a lot of the big endurance races, he's won a World Endurance Championship title, he's still very good in even the twilight of his career. Timo said, basically, from what I understand, uh, that 919 was just a good warm-up. <laughs> yep, that was just a good warm-up. Like, I, I assume a bit it was, of it is, was in jest, but again, this is the Nürburgring Nord's life, this track is insanely difficult, insanely dangerous, especially in, you know cars that you know in the 919 evo tribute which is the bleeding edge of automotive performance in terms of competitive automotive performance right it was it was breathtaking like i've i've got to go watch that lap you were watching it on a repeat for yeah. several minutes and i don't blame you um here's another run that we need to watch as well seven minutes 57 seconds Point one four eight. This is the first sub eight minute run of the Pikes Peak Hill Climb, which yes, it's been paved over now, so it's no longer the dirt roads that Ari Vatanen once drove in his uh, Peugeot way back in the day. But it's still pretty awesome to see this record from an electric race car, the Volkswagen, uh, the Volkswagen IDR, driven by Roman Dumas, who's previously won the event, um, shattering Sebastian Loeb's old record yeah like uh this had a different aura around it in terms of people it seemed like they were just aiming for the outright electric record uh the overall record seemed to be it was a genuine question if they would ever get close to it or not but no yeah they destroyed it <laughs> yeah so for reference the old record was set by sebastian Loeb, the greatest most successful rally driver of all time he did it in a Peugeot 208 Pikes Peak car uh, with 8 minutes, 13 seconds. Um, many people thought this record wouldn't ever get touched. Uh, Volkswagen put together a car that could do not only that, it could break it by almost 20 seconds. It was this, scary. This was, this was beautiful. Uh, and, can, and can I just say, with those Gran Turismo stickers on the windscreen, you definitely want to see this car in GT Sport. Come on, I'll, I'll even pay for it. I know it's I know it's free. I would pay for it if you <laughs> wanted me to. Oh God, like, mm, 
Uh, yeah, and t to put it into perspective, the previous Eevee record, this is all they wanted to do. They just wanted to beat 857-118 set by Reese Millen in 2016. That's all they wanted to do at first. Oh. <laughs> That's like, man, they, they, they showed up to... They wanted to, like, just, you know, nail up a picture frame with a sledgehammer. Like... <laughs> Like, as cynical as we get about motorsports sometimes, we, we just kind of need to take a step back and realize when stuff like this happens, it can create some truly amazing things. It can, uh, it can create once-in-a-lifetime moments, um, all in this, two of them, all in the span of the same week. By technically That's the same car company. <laughs> yes. Like, it's, it's pretty awesome. I know we're all kind of sad that, you know, Audi and Porsche had to pull out of LMP1 and the WC and Lamar, and Volkswagen is still kind of in trouble. But you know, hey, if if these are, uh, I gotta say, this is the best corporate apology I've ever heard of. Yeah, BP, step your game up. <laughs> Come on, Wells Fargo, where's your LM? Where's your uh, where's your LMP1 hybrid? Though, oh man. <laughs> It, it yeah. seemed like it hit, like, there were hints that, oh, we could be going back to the, the 1930s era of we're just going to be breaking records for breaking records' sake, but Mercedes has already pretty much said that, yeah, we won't, we can't afford to try to take a Formula One car to the Nürburgring and beat the record, according to Toto Wolff, but Toto Wolff also claims that Botas could break the record if they did it. Again, Toto Wolff! Put your money where your mouth is. If if you can't make claims, if you're not willing to back them up, right, right. Oh, oh god, a, a sub five lap around the Nordschleife. <laughs> that's. I, I need to catch myself. Um, should we move on then to? Uh, well, it's not in the set list because I couldn't fit in into one Discord message. Uh, we had some good racing in America. Um, we're gonna start with uh, we're gonna talk with hashtag Slab Job. <laughs> If you haven't seen it, uh, the last <laughs> lap of the NASCAR race at Chicagoland, uh, this being Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s full-time broadcasting debut, uh, Kyle Busch and Carl Larson are going for the lead of the motor race. Um, Larson uh, tries to move Busch out of the way, uh, coming out of turn two. He gains the lead. Kyle Busch is having none of that, so driving into turn three, he goes deep. He goes way deep. He punts Kyle Larson into a spin as Bush is about to wreck into the wall. And Kyle Bush takes the victory. Kyle Larson comes home in second. Everybody immediately thought this was one of the best finishes ever. I, I think there were better races. It but was good. Certainly, certainly, especially in a time where NASCAR needs all the attention it can get nowadays. Uh, this was a very good finish, and props as well to Kyle Busch for doing the tears, uh, the tears emote uh, to the camera as everybody is trying to boo him out of Chicagoland. Wonderful, man. <laughs> but I've seen, I've seen the memes just pour in, like not like I hate like Kyle Busch, just like man, this was a moment level of memes. <laughs> goodness yeah and i also want to remark as well like we're seeing a we're seeing unprecedented we're seeing not entirely unprecedented but 
you know, between Kyle Busch winning five races this year, Kevin Harvick winning five races, Martin Truex still looking as good as when he won the championship last year. He's won three races. They have three times as many wins as the rest of the field combined. Yeah, there is truly a big three in NASCAR. Oh, yeah, it's it's pretty wonderful. Um we also had some good racing at the IMSA six hours of the Glen. We have uh, we had some friends of the show there as well. Who, if they were if they were conscious and made good choices, they probably <laughs> would have seen Stephen Simpson, a pretty much a gentleman driver in the context of uh, the context of IMSA prototype racing, uh, round up Juan Pablo Montoya, who was two thirds of the way to the Triple Crown, and Jordan Taylor, the reigning series champion with an incredible three-wide pass to give JDC Miller Motorsports the victory overall in that race. And that's something of an upset because they are a true Pro-Am team in a series that is leaning towards the all-pro DPI entries. Yeah, and man, oh, I, I, I pray for the people who actually went to that race because it was a hot one in upstate New York. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it God. was a hot one. Oh my goodness, that's uh, that's uh, Mikhail Misha Goikberg, that's Chris Miller, and that's Stephen Simpson, who took the win in the number 99 Gaines Co. Red Dragon of J.D. Miller Motorsports. It's only the second time a global LMP2 car has won in this current IMSA era of IMSA prototype racing. Um, here's the thing, that same team could have easily won it last year. Yeah, uh, because they were they were very close. They were shopping at the bit to pass in 2017, but this time they uh, they did not leave anything on the table. And most sport as well. You're right. Thank you, Henry Chap- Chapman, for uh, for inserting all that stuff. Man, they've been close. They are they are the true giant slayers. This number 99 team, uh, which is really awesome to see, especially as some had suggested that IMSA should just move away from uh, from trying to make uh, the pro am. Uh, global um, P2 teams try and compete with the pro all pro uh, DPI teams. Yeah, it, it truly shows that uh, doesn't matter if you're pro am car, those guys could still go out there, put on a good race, and maybe steal some wins from people. <laughs> oh goodness! Oh man! Um, what is what is motorsport? Dot, what is Motorsport Network doing? They have a new app. <laughs> oh. How, what do... I wish Dre were here for this. I wish Dre okay. were here for this. So this is uh, a new creation from the Motorsport Network. They've launched the Pit Stop Betting app. Where basically it's as it sounds here... Uh, It'll offer uh, betting cards across 10 motorsport series at launch, uh, two wheels and four. Um, so this all looks very good, except for the fact that you kind of got to realize that um, the people who own Motorsport Network also kind of had vested interest into other teams that compete in a lot of these championships that are up for betting. <laughs> but, you know, what's wrong about that? <laughs> what's wrong about that? Oh, yeah. Man, the conflicts. The conflicts, y'all. But, again, uh, apparently you could bet real... Like, mm, 
I don't know what they mean by this. You can bet real money, you can bet virtual money, and you can also vir bet virtual currency. I don't know what that means. Oh, oh my goodness. So, oh my god, can you win loot boxes out of this? <laughs> probably. Probably. That would not surprise me. Yeah. There were great quotes from uh, Zach Brown, Motorsport Network's chairman, <laughs> and also McLaren F1 CEO. <laughs> Yes, the quote in question, uh, the pit stop betting app adds another dimension to our portfolio of products and services for the motorsport fan. But more importantly, this radical new app with its focus on rewarding entertainment will set new standards not just for motorsport, but I believe more broadly sports betting in general with this refreshing fun and demystifying approach to betting. Oh man, they, they've chalked it full of so many buzzwords. <laughs> Man, that's that's just perfect. So right now the app is available only in Britain apparently because I've tried to download which is, it. Yeah. Which makes sense because we haven't fully rolled out legalized sports betting <laughs> in all 50 states yet. But we're working on it. We're working on it. Things are going to be so awkward when McLaren gets a full-time team in IndyCar. Because <laughs> we know America does not have, you know, a fraught history with sports betting in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, you can you can just for the sake of uh, posterity's sake, you can play on Formula One, Formula E, MotoGP, the World Endurance Championship, NASCAR, the World Rally Championship, and World Rallycross Championship, IndyCar, and the WTCR, the former WTCC. Okay, uh, one what one note I do have to make. It it would legitimately be fun to bet on World Rallycross. Not gonna lie. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> Um, notice that IndyCar is missing. Uh, IndyCar is not missing. Oh, so, oh, so you can bet on IndyCar. You can bet on IndyCar. Mmm, mmm, when does this get to the States? Damn you, Zach Brown. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this just in from some people who have watched, uh, more World Rally Class than I have this year. Just put Johan Christofferson in. I don't... If you're if you're that confident in it, I don't think you're gonna win any money off of that. I'm just gonna put that out there. Now. <laughs> yeah, he's won seventy five percent of the races. Seventy five percent. That's not all. That's not all. Oh goodness. <laughs> we had uh we had Super GT this past weekend, so I'm gonna do my best to try and summarize this. You can watch the race in full on Nismo TV. If you have not wa watched it. Please tune out for the next two to three minutes as I try to sum up what happened. Okay, here we go. So, Letsis, they were they hadn't won a race all through the first three rounds of the season. Uh, as it turns out, they came away with a podium clean sweep as Kamui Kobayashi and Heki Kovalainen for Letsis Team Sard took the victory. But this was a wild race where we had essentially almost a four-car battle for the lead of the race with about ten laps to go. Um... The number six Waco's uh, LC500 of Kazuya Oshima and Felix Rosenquist had a genuine chance to win. They were moving up through the field with uh, with great quickness. But then in the second half of the race, Yuhi Sekiguchi and the number 36 AU Tom's LC500, which he shared with Lama champion Kazuki Nakajima. We can say that now. Yes. Um, Sekiguchi was pounding out fast lap after fast lap, and he was right on the back bumper in the final lap until his car ran out of fuel. And he just looked so utterly devastated as he 
Tamla should have because that was a race that he easily could have won. Like Kobayashi and Sekiguchi, two of the most aggressive drivers from Japan that I know of, going wheel to wheel, going into turn four at Chang International Circuit, which for those of you who don't know, if you need a more familiar uh, analogy, it's basically like if they just dropped 130R into the middle of Thailand. Um, so that kind of gives you a level of the danger that that corner entails. I don't know what it is about this seemingly featureless Herman Tilka circuit in the middle of nowhere, even by Thailand standards, but the racing there is good, and it's a shame that the attendance has steadily declined each year. They only got 30,000 people, just short of 30,000 people, for the whole weekend. 20,000 on Sunday. Yeah, it's... it's. Mm, I, I guess it's a case of... Herman Tilka finally gets essentially a blank canvas to work with, to work with, and he makes a pretty interesting circuit against all odds. But unfortunately, those odds also cause there to be low attendance at that circuit. Right. Um, from what I understand, this is a this is six this is six hours to eight hours drive from uh, from Buriram, Thailand to Bangkok, and vice versa. And with MotoGP also being on this uh, circuit's calendar, most people are going to figure, like, we can only go to one race, and if we're only going to one, well, might as well make it MotoGP. Yeah. Uh, GT300 also had some uh, pretty good times, and in the end of that, the number 11, Gaynor Tanat's Nissan GTR. First win for the new Nissan GTR with Katsuyuki Hironaka and Hironobu Yasuda taking the victory. Um, Hironaka, by the way, he's driven for Team Gainer since 2009, and in that time, he's won in a Ferrari, he's won in an Audi R8, he's won in two different generations of Mercedes GT3 cars, and now he's won in a Nissan, all in this time frame. That's pretty awesome. Oh my god, that, I, I, I barely know many drivers who have recent records that prodigious. Yes, yeah, so we have new championship leaders out of all this. Kovalainen moves to the top of the GT500 Drivers' Championship uh, with his win. Remember, Komui Kobayashi missed a round, so he's not going to get all the points Kovalainen has. Um, Hironaka and Yasuda move to the top of the GT300 Drivers' Championship. Um, as well, shout-outs as well to 18-year-old Ritoma Miyata for getting his first podium because I'm very proud of him and want to see him do well. Like, it's... Like, I'm not going to lie. It's really, really awesome having a driver who is very, very fast, very, very young, and could potentially be a major star of the future and a future champion who just so happens to be on the autism spectrum. Like, that's really, really cool. And he was having a good time at this whole event. Uh, Shout-outs as well um, to the Chang Circuit organizers for forgetting to... for, for basically giving away all the champagne on the podium to the GT300 drivers <laughs> and leaving none for the 500 drivers to take it. You get no beer if you drive the fastest cars. You get some beer if you drive the slightly less fast cars. It was a good time. Please watch it on Nismo TV. You will enjoy it, and you will have a good time. Um, we've hit all the high points from Austria, the Nürburgring, Pikes Peak, Chicago, Watkins Glen, Burry Ram. Uh, we got the third part of an F1 triple header coming up at the British Grand Prix at Silverstone, the most important venue if you judge it only by the base value of an average general admission ticket. Oh goodness, yes, uh, we got we got NASCAR at Daytona again. We have uh, 
We have IndyCar is back. IndyCar is back at Toronto, I believe. No, it's uh, no. Iowa this weekend. Uh, yeah, Iowa. Iowa corn, what, 400? Oh, my God, I forgot the <laughs> distance. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, it's the Iowa corn 300. Okay. Close enough. <laughs> Um, yeah, we've got more packed racing and Dre will be back with us. Uh, thank you so much to everybody who's tuned in to this episode of the Motorsport 101 podcast. Remember, you can find all of our works, both in audio and written form at motorsport101.com. If you want to back this show financially, you can back us at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to every show we put out for Motorsport 101 and for Bike Live. You're at facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Our show's Twitter handle is motorsport underscore 101. And if you want to follow us personally, we are at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, and at H Southwell FE for Hazel, who did have to leave us a, a family emergency going on. Definitely hope all is well, but we definitely thank her for joining us for the time that she was here um and with that about wrapped up assuming we have no other late omissions nope all right then uh then just like uh just like messi ronaldo's world cup runs i believe it's time to end it (laughs) thank you very much for listening for hazel southwell and brian eric king and for the absent andre harrison who will be back i'm rj o'connell Thank you very much for listening to the Motorsport 101 podcast. We will catch you next time. Later, y'all. Bye. Sorry to recompose myself. I got slide jobbed. <laughs> but I usually got to pay 50 bucks or more for that. <laughs> Man, if we ever get a $50 tier, it has to be named slide job. <laughs> and that's the part that's the that's the thing that ruins us. <laughs>